The Coffee People podcast is presented by Rostar Coffee Packaging. Rostar is a digital printing company that makes custom printed packaging for coffee products. They work with small, mid, and large coffee roasters nationwide. Go to Rostar.com to learn more about their fast turnaround times, high-quality packaging products, sustainability efforts, and low printing minimums, which enable your small business to tell a really big story. If you are ready to upgrade those coffee bags, go to Rostar.com. Hey there, everyone. Before we get started this morning, I want to share something that happened to me last week. I was at a coffee cupping set up by show partner, Hasea Coffee Source. I was kind of waiting for the tasting part to begin when someone walked up and said, I thought I recognized that voice. And that is how I met Home Roaster and Coffee People podcast listener, Nick. We chatted about his coffee journey, and later that day he hopped online and became a paying supporter of this show. Shout out to Nick, I hope you found some good green coffees at the tasting, good luck on your roasting exploration, and thank you for listening and supporting Roast West Coast. And now, on to the show. Hey, good morning everyone, welcome to the Coffee People Podcast, which is part of the Roast West Coast Coffee Network and presented by Roastar Coffee Packaging. If you are a smart, small business roasting excellent coffees, and you want a package that will showcase them, you will find what you're looking for at Roastar.com. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the Coffee People Podcast, where we meet interesting people connected to the world of coffee. Welcome to Episode 9 of Season 9. It's hard to believe that we're almost to the end of another season, and another year for that matter. Today, we're chatting with Zachary Carlson and Jordan Michaelman. The duo are the founders of the iconic coffee website Sprudge.com, and they recently released their new coffee cookbook, But First, Coffee. And of course, the pair of entrepreneurs are here to talk about that book. But we also dig into the origins of Sprudge and how they explain the longevity of their success. If you want to learn more about the book, you can find the link in this podcast show notes, and of course, in our newsletter on coffeepeoplepodcast.com. It feels right to me that for this show, I brew up a coffee based on one of the recipes in their book, But First Coffee. I think I'll work on the Hario V60 recipe. Where did I put that exactly 40 grams of coffee that I need to hand grind? I'm going to work on that. And I hope wherever you are, and wherever you're at in your day, you're ready to listen to this conversation with Zachary and Jordan authors, and coffee people, with a full mug of coffee of your own, or perhaps a coffee cocktail, or maybe some coffee flower tea. Yeah, hi, I'm Jordan Michaelman. I'm one of the co-founders of Sprudge, and I am the co-author of But First Coffee, the new coffee cookbook from Sprudge. I'm Zachary Carlson. I am the other co-founder of Sprudge and the other co-author of But First Coffee. And I had sent you guys kind of a list of questions before we got on this call, and I'm going to go off book right away. Do you have a favorite holiday movie? Yeah, 
I, 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 uh, Die Hard for me is my favorite <laughs> holiday movie. It's a film that my partner and I saw on our first date nine years ago. And every year since then, we've watched it uh, every, every holiday season. You've gone controversial right away because there's a big <laughs> argument that it's not a Christmas movie. That I just don't understand. It takes place during the season. So if you're watching it in December, you're you're participating in, in the same month that the, the folks are participating in the, in the film. What can be more seasonal, you know? Yeah, I, I, um, I've come around to really appreciate Elf. Uh, it was not something that I cared about or cared for upon release, but it has aged uh, very well. Uh, and my wife loves that movie and my daughter loves that movie. And so by the time it gets to be around Thanksgiving, the Elf viewings begin in my house. <laughs> and I have come around to enjoying the human cartoon thing that Will Ferrell does in that movie um, and uh, some of the other very funny roles that are that are in that movie. Did you say viewings, like multiple? Yeah, 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 for sure. Multiple, multiple viewings, yes. I will, uh, we've already watched it twice. <laughs> I think there was an Elf article on Sprudge recently. Maybe I'm misremembering that. There was, yes, yes. Jackson O'Brien, who does some kind of coffee film writing for us, uh, which we have a long, proud history of on Sprudge of trying to always find coffee stuff in TV shows and movies and, and do sort of film TV criticism type of stuff through a coffee lens. Uh, Jackson's been doing a lot of great work on that particular beat uh, this year, and he wrote a great, a new holiday classic. In fact, we'll probably have to... Uh, have another viewing for it before the end of the year. Um, <laughs> a new a new holiday classic on Sprudge about coffee and elf. I'm imagining Sprudge sponsored screenings in the future. Everyone keep an eye out for that. And I'll link to that article uh, in the show notes if anyone's listening. Did you say what your holiday film was, Ryan? I did not, uh, but I will happily. I am a firm believer that Die Hard is one of the single greatest movies of all time. Yes. So that's definitely up there for me. Last year... I'm a bah humbug kind of guy, uh, generally. Mm -hmm. Last year, I thought, you know what? It's been a couple of dark years. You need to have a better attitude. And so my wife and I, I think we watched a holiday-themed movie almost every day from Thanksgiving until Christmas. Wow. And it gets pretty dark in that world real fast. Uh, but there's, <laughs> so, there's so many of them. Uh, this week, we tried to watch the new one, Best Christmas Ever. We only made it through the first several minutes. Uh, we're going to try again. It was, it was yeah. a rough part. <laughs> but I'm a diehard. Elf is right up there. National Lampoons we watched this week already. Just some classic movies. The other one, yeah. that's, the other one that's great and, and weirder than you remember it being is Gremlins. Oh, which is totally a Christmas movie. Like it all takes place at Christmas. Um, like the, 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 the Mogwai is a Christmas gift. That's how it comes about. Um, but it's a really weird, dark, the same way. Like if you watch the first Ghostbusters and you're like, man, they would never make that movie today. Um, Gremlins is kind of like that too. Uh, and is also a Christmas movie. <laughs> Another one that people would never make again is Scrooged with Bill Murray. Yeah, uh, that's that a good is a one. movie that gets really dark, but I love that movie as well. We've mentioned Sprudge a few times. You guys are here because you wrote a book, but you can't separate 
the two of you from Sprudge and this book. I'd like to learn a little bit just about the two of you before we get too far before Sprudge, which was a lifetime ago. I think you guys started in like 09. Mm. What were you doing leading up to that? And kind of what was the impetus for starting Sprudge in the first place? So Zachary and I uh, have known each other since we were both 14. Uh, we we met on the first day of eighth grade at a junior high school in uh, suburban Tacoma, Washington, Pacific Northwest. And we were part of like a big friend group, but I think pretty quickly figured out that we both liked making weird music together and watching weird movies together, watching Simpsons reruns. And, and Zachary had the most incredibly curated Simpsons VHS collection that he'd taped himself off of local TV and, and carefully edited the commercials out of, uh, which I was very impressed by. We were in high school plays together and, and hung out and, and then, you know, graduated high school, which, which happens for everybody when you're friends and your kids or whatever. And, um, Zachary went to college down in, uh, Olympia, Washington, and I went to college up in, uh, Seattle, Washington. And Zachary sort of fell in with this world of coffee people, um, who turned out to be, some pretty interesting and kind of influential coffee people. He moved out to Washington, D.C. and was working at a place called Murky Coffee, uh, which is owned by a guy called Nick Cho. There's a bunch of other interesting coffee people who were around working at Murky Coffee at that time who've kind of flight mapped out to do interesting things in specialty coffee around the East Coast and around the country. Also worked in New York City uh, managing 9th Street Espresso in Manhattan. This is in like, you know, 2000 seven, eight, kind of that time. So there's cool specialty coffee, but it's not like it is now, you know? And it was in an era where a city like D.C. or New York might have, you know, a few shops, but not like it is now where there's coffee kind of everywhere you look. I was playing in bands and hanging out and trying to figure out if I was going to go to law school and stop disappointing my parents or whatever. And um, and we would still sort of hang out. We'd stayed in touch. And there was a summer where Zachary hopped into the van with my with my band and kind of came on tour with us for a couple of nights and helped us like roadie around and hung out. And, uh, and when I was traveling around, he'd be like, oh, you got to go to this cafe in Chicago. You know, there's this cafe called Intelligentsia. It'll really... It'll really turn you on to coffee or stuff like that. And I had never really thought about it before. I had no inkling of wanting to be any kind of journalist or anything. I thought I was going to write songs for a living, and uh, which is very hard to do. But drinking all the coffee that he kind of pointed me towards really turned me on. And he knew about that whole world. Zachary wound up living back in Seattle, which is where I was living. We lived in the same city again for the first time in several years. We started hanging out together all the time, and I would sit in his cafes and work on my little very serious song notebook, and I was very 25, and, you know, and Zachary had this idea for a coffee website, and I didn't really know anything about it, but he needed somebody to help him write headlines and and jokes and things. When the website started, it was a visual parody of the website, The Drudge Report, um, which is where the name originally comes from, sort of. Sprudge is also a, a neologism for the stuff that winds up on your shoes and bottom of your pant legs after a busy espresso, like busy coffee shift, barista shift. 
And I was like, sure, okay, I'm very available to do that. I'm, again, sort of sitting around and playing music and trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. So I, I had a lot of availability, which is sometimes the best ability. And uh, we started doing it. And because Zachary had worked around coffee for a while, he kind of knew where the stories were. He knew who to pay attention to. He knew who to gently make fun of or, or talk about what they were doing in a cool way or whatever. And we just kind of kept doing it every day and started the ball rolling. That was in, that was in 2009. Zachary, you were the kind of the coffee person of this partnership. Do you remember having a first experience with coffee that kind of got you excited about it, that made it more than just going to work every day? Yeah. Well, I have a couple of memories, like uh, the earliest memory is like 13 years old and being introduced to a white chocolate mocha at Starbucks for the first time and having it be the first beverage that was like approachable and I could drink and be like, oh, I, I understand why people want to drink coffee every day. And it was kind of the gateway entry into coffee, which is why I, I still like I, I think syrupy drinks are can be wonderful, can be a wonderful introduction to a bigger world of coffee. And then I, I remember very, very specifically the Guatemala Weiwei Tenango from Counterculture Coffee in 2005, being served by uh, baristas at Murky Coffee in Washington, D.C. And I had been working for Starbucks for three years, and I walked into this cafe, ordered a drip coffee, and when I got the drip coffee, I asked what it was, and the barista had so much information and was so like excited about this coffee and like that excitement rubbed off. And I was like, this is amazing. I want to be a part of this. I want to be as excited as you are about coffee. So that, that like cup of Guatemala way Tenango like is forever burned in my memory as much as the white chocolate mocha. That's a, a very cool reflection that you remember the actual coffee. My first experience was a coffee candy that I had when I was nine or 10, and I didn't drink it again until I turned 30. So it uh, <laughs> turned me the other direction, but luckily I've come back around. I'm wondering, as we're talking, you, you have a natural kind of way with chatting and, and waiting each other's conversations. You know, you've been doing Sprudge since 2009. That's 14 years. What do you attribute the longevity uh, of this website to, the success to? I mean, it's not easy to keep the enthusiasm for a website going over time. When we started, we didn't know what we didn't know. And I think that that can be a really helpful thing as a creative person, as an entrepreneur, not coming at it so analytically, just coming at it like an art project. But we knew we wanted to play newsroom and that there were websites that we really liked reading in that era of... of these sort of great Gen X bloggy websites, um, stuff like Gawker, um, you know, Deadspin, the sports version of Gawker, Grantland, the ill-fated uh, Bill Simmons editorial uh, thing that ESPN had, the Wonkat, the DC blog, um, the, this sort of era of these kind of big, big important thinky blogs, and we thought those were really cool, and so we sought out to, you know. To kind of gently be inspired by slash rip them off, but make it about coffee. And I think that we realized fairly early on that, you know, for it to work conceptually, you had to do it every day. You had to come back and do it every single day or else the joke didn't work. The, the concept didn't work. 
And that's hard to do. It's hard to come back and fill up a blank page every day. And so, you know, then it became about creating systems to build out editorial calendars and work with freelancers and work with, you know, a team of editors. And we sort of intuitively kind of backed our way into running a publication that now has all these different sort of touch points and different people that we get to work with on it and different voices and perspectives and all the rest of it and stuff. But I will say that like not coming at it with like a big bank of money that was going to have to get paid back in a year and like 10 employees and all this kind of stuff coming at it just through the two of us. We really, we ran the whole thing ourselves for the first several years and it's been the natural kind of unfolding of it that's allowed there to be some rhythm. And now at 13, 14 years on, it's about continuing to refine processes and work with, you know, people who we love and, and all this kind of stuff, but also keep coming up with stuff that's new wrinkles, things that we're excited about, stuff that's different, um, stuff that's different for our readers, respecting having this relationship with a readership, some of whom have been reading us for, you know, a decade plus, but also being positioned so that every day it might be somebody's first time. Every day it is somebody's first time reading the website. And how do you kind of play off both of those realities. I, I also want to add kind of back to your original question. Um, how does, how do, how do we make it work for 14 years? The, I, I think the partnership really helps. I think our, our friendship really helps the, the, the longevity of this project. Um, Cause we, we keep pushing each other to keep working, keep building, keep growing. And like, I remember very, very early on, like 2010, Waking up, uh, I was in Amsterdam working at a pop-up for Stumptown Coffee. And so, and Jordan was nine hours in the West Coast time zone. And he was like up, ready to go with a bunch of headlines he had written for the dredge, the Spread Report. And like, he was ready, he was going. And I, I was not ready. I was not going. And like, he was like, let's do this. We got to do it. And I remember being like, oh, this is awesome. Like, when I'm feeling low, he's going to pick me up. When he's feeling low, I'll pick him up. And like we supported each other over the last 14 years in that way. Yeah, Zach, Zachary and I have almost exactly opposite brains in a lot of ways. <laughs> so between the two of us, we have one pretty good brain. You sometimes read about people who have these lifelong creative partnerships in in music or in film or in um you know uh screenwriting or in um other kinds of creative stuff and we we look at some of those and f- kind of relate to it a little bit we just happened to do it through a coffee website and books I was just about to get there. Uh, Your work has expanded from beyond the screen. Uh, You wrote your first book, The New Rules of Coffee, a while back, and you have just published your second book uh, together, But First Coffee, A Guide to Brewing from the Kitchen to the Bar. I think it was released in October of 2023. We're now in December. Why did you write a second book and who should be reading it? Yeah. So, you know, when we did the first book, that was such an exciting time for us because it was 2018 pre-pandemic you know and it was so exciting for us to get that opportunity to kind of talk to an audience a different way and think about 
you know, our ideas as, as a book as opposed to, you know, this kind of iterative digital thing. Because um, books, they come out and then that's the book, right? Like, and it, and it ends up being this time capsule in an interesting way. And we loved working on that book. We kind of got to the end of it and we said, you know, we never told you how to make a cup of coffee. <laughs> we wrote a whole <laughs> book about about coffee and we never really told you uh what to do with it or like what you could do with it and so that became a little bit of the conceptual idea behind you know coming back and doing a second book of it being totally completely different and really like challenging ourselves working in in this sort of cookbook idiom for recipe writing for recipe development for telling the kind of story behind recipes and brewing devices and shooting it ourselves taking all the photography uh which zachary was really the the lead on it was a very different book process very very challenging very um outside of our comfort zone and sometimes you got to play away games you know that's like kind of fun right like it's like this different set of challenges there were weeks that were such intense work and then long kinds of stretches where we were both working on it on our own and stuff too and yeah it felt like there was another hill to climb and it went back to that central thing of like we wrote a coffee book that never told you how to make coffee so what if we wrote a second book that was like every way you could make coffee and all the fun things you can do with it wouldn't it be interesting to have two very different books anything to add there zachary Yeah. So the new rules of coffee that came out in 2018 was born out of this idea that we wanted to kind of explain what made specialty coffee so special. And like for me personally, like I had a very challenging time introducing this idea of specialty coffee to like my family. Mm -hmm. And so the book was kind of like a, here are the reasons why coffee can be more exceptional, more exciting, more delicious. And the second book, like Jordan said, is, is, is the, the how, to, how to do that, how to brew that coffee, how to cook with coffee, how to make cocktails with coffee, um, all of the like, exciting ways that one can use coffee beyond just, just a, uh, making a cup of coffee. It's been five years since 2018. Do you think that the lessons you were trying to put forth in the new rules of coffee have started permeating through society? Or do you think, you know, when you go to an event like SCA or a big specialty coffee event, everybody there is into the same thing that you are or that, you know, this kind of audience is. Do you think the greater public has started to understand specialty coffee? Yes, absolutely. And it's something that we see traveling around the country traveling around the world it's also something that we see when we get to travel vicariously through through sprudge through the kinds of features that we do on sprudge whether that's through our like our sprudge maps like mapping system or it's through sort of some of the annual editorial stuff that we do like the build outs of coffee those stories are coming in more than we it's so much you can barely keep up with it. There's so there's so many ideas. There's so much new stuff. And even through the pandemic, people kept opening new things or pivoting or rethinking or changing or or there's so much creativity, entrepreneurial creativity in, in the specialty coffee industry. And it's shown us that not only is there stuff now, big cities, small cities, medium cities, rural areas, it's not like just the stuff in the big cities is what's good. 
actually some of the stuff that's in, you know, maybe smaller cities population wise, or even out in different kinds of places where you wouldn't expect it are some of the most compelling, cool, interesting stories about coffee. And that also goes on, you know, internationally, there's so much more of it now. And I think even compared from 2015 to 2023, so like in 2018, we we did feel like we needed to kind of argue for its for its validity, and now in 2023, it was more like, well, chances are you know how to get a good bag of coffee. It's never been easier to get a good bag of coffee. You can have it shipped to your house once a week if you'd like from a subscription, or there's probably a good cafe within you know not too far where you live or somewhere you're planning planning to be. We got that part out of the way, which is really exciting. But now, what are all the things you can do with it? What are all the things you can do with that bag of coffee? And, you know, like you'd expect, quite a lot of them are ways to, like, go home and drink it and enjoy it. But there's also this bigger kind of world of thinking about coffee as a delicacy, thinking about coffee as an ingredient. And we really wanted to go and kind of play in that world, too, a little bit in in developing recipes and, you know, dialing in what exactly we wanted to include and and how we wanted to approach all that kind of stuff. Um, And that's a fun place to be because... It does feel like there's so much, there's more growth, there's more understanding, there's more engagement, acceptance, whatever you want to call it now in 2023 than, than there than there was five years ago. I mean, certainly than there was when we started the website in 2009, 2010. I mean, people used to, people used to ask us, you know, are you really just going to write about coffee? I remember having a very earnest conversation with my mother where she was like, you're just going to write about coffee? Really? Is that going to be enough to write about? You sure people are going to care? And um, nobody asks that now anymore. Like, it's not, Nobody has that fundamental question. It's like we get to talk about other sort of more more dialed in stuff now, which is cool. Yes, I, I, I totally agree uh, with what Jordan just said. I um, the thing that I keep going back to is 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 everyone on the same page? Is everyone uh, on board? I, I still struggle with this idea that there's so much confusion, so much noise, so much misinformation out there. What makes specialty coffee special? What makes uh, a cup of coffee good? That there's still a lot of work to be done. There's 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 never been more access to great coffee, but I, I still think that there's there's room to grow in in terms of, of of really defining what that means. As you're talking, I'm imagining. Are you familiar with this vending machine game where you drop in a quarter and it pushes a bunch of other quarters along towards a cliff? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm imagining. You're saying about coffee is we've been pushing, and that that hill of coffee knowledge has been building and building and building, and we have an opportunity in the coffee industry to push it over the cliff into that greater audience that maybe yeah. is you know, still like really excited about Ben Affleck drinking Duncan, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because like that is, and that in a lot of ways is who we wanted this book to be for and thought about very actively in, in developing the approach for this book, really accessible. It's named for a linguistic meme that's been around for decades. Like it's, there's this thing about it that's, we're not trying to have you have to even really know what a, what special why you would use the term specialty or third wave or what that stuff even means. Just that 
seems like there's a lot more of this coffee stuff these days, you know, like it's that approach because we like talking to those people and there's a lot more of those people, especially with something like a cookbook. That's a fun, that's a fun margin to get to like color in. Well, one thing I noticed as I was scrolling through kind of the e-version of the book is how comprehensive it is beyond just this is how to make a cup of coffee. You've mentioned that a few times. That is a key component. But then it goes into things like coffee custard and barbecue and mm-hmm. cocktails and, you know, all these other areas, ice cream, where coffee lives that people don't think about when they think about coffee. Uh, did you guys discover anything along this path when you're creating it that you're like, holy shit, that was I wouldn't have thought of that or I didn't see that. Or did you have disagreements about maybe this shouldn't be here? Yeah, I think we have disagreements about everything. So I'm sure we had exactly (laughs) those kinds of disagreements. One that I'm, there's a recipe in the book that I really like a lot, which is for the, um, the coffee Negroni. And there's some stuff about that recipe that, breaks some rules and breaks some how coffee is kind of taught and thought about popularly within specialty coffee over the last 20 years. We played a bunch of different ways around with coffee Negronis, and this is the thing that, you know, exists. Good bars have them. We've we've had them out at places. But didn't want to do where you're adding in a liqueur or adding in bitters or whatever. Wanted to kind of go back to that idea of, like, if you have a bag of coffee, what are the ways you can use it to do stuff? Not to send you back to the liquor store to go buy another thing necessarily, but just to work with the coffee that you had. And wound up hitting on this idea of... um, you know, when you make a Negroni, there's gin, there's Campari, there's vermouth, and then there's ice, there's dilution. That's the critical for sort of fourth ingredient in making a Negroni um, because you're always going to stir it down. And then often it's served over ice as well. And both those things are going to impact the flavor. It's why oftentimes with a Negroni, the last sip you have can be the best because it's sort of diluted down from, from the ice in an interesting way. And so thinking about that, started playing with the idea of like, okay, let's make coffee ice cubes. And I remember explaining this to you, Zachary, and you being like, we're not, you're not supposed to do that. That's generally frowned upon making coffee ice cubes. And like, they're going to look weird. And like, we have to, I don't know about all this. And they did kind of look weird and it is sort of frowned upon. And, um, but you get it in there in the stir and it fuses with the Negroni and the vermouth in this interesting way. And then it actually looks pretty cool in the build of the cocktail too. And, um, and it's a delicious recipe. It works. It's just, was a thing that only could come from like us arguing about something and then trying a bunch of different versions of it and kind of, dialing it from there to get it where it, where it really is something where now it's it's the recipe I've kind of heard the most from people about um, since the book came out of people being like damn that recipe is really good um, and uh, but that's that's one that I think is an example of what you're asking about as I'm listening I'm kind of imagining a future Sprudge television show similar to Rachel Ray where the two of you argue over these cocktail recipes and and brew things. I'm putting that out there so I get an executive producer credit someday. (laughs) I assume you don't have the literal minutes to do this all, uh, but was there anyone else involved in the creation of this book or getting this book out to the world you want to shout out while we're here on the show and and people are still listening? Absolutely. I personally want to thank uh, some some friends local who helped me with uh, photos, uh, Shannon Lawler, Avic Maitra, and Vincent Cruz, who were uh, so helpful in 
some some placements, some props, and uh, helped push me through uh, several months of photo taking. Did you have photography experience before that? Yeah, yeah. Um, throughout the years with Spredge, especially like my favorite uh, is event competition photography. Uh, taking photos at barista competitions is one of my favorite things to do. Um, it's also just like a very it's being on stage with uh, baristas is, is such a thrill, but yeah, um, I've taken lots of product photography, uh, for the website, uh, over the years. And so, but, but this is definitely the first book. And so it was a very big mountain to climb. You know, I think this is the second one of these done that we've done and writing a book always ends up being, more multi-collaborative than it might necessarily seem like there's two names on the cover or whatever, but lots of people work on the book. So, you know, uh, everybody at our publisher union square and company out in New York, we're really great to work with. And, um, Allison Farges, who's our, uh, who's our agent was really great to work with and helped us out lots of ways throughout the process. Yeah. My, uh, my wife was super helpful too, especially we, there's a lot of stuff in the book that, and this is an interesting thing because when you do like a cookbook, I think that there's some people or or maybe it's more common where you get like a sort of set of, of cutlery, you get a set of dishes, you sort of develop the theme of what all the everything like that is going to be for the book. And for this, for us, uh, we didn't really do that. You know, we almost everything in the book is from our own homes or, or collections or stuff that we thrifted or, you know, the the pot that's in the coffee custard recipe, you know, I made my kid mac and cheese on that pot last night. <laughs> it was like a very like lived in sort of of all of our stuff property um, to the book. And that was something that my wife, Sarah Michaelman was really involved in helping us think through and, and manage and set up and, and work with us uh, a little bit at the shoots and stuff too. Um, so she was a really, really big help. I think that's something that is actually a, a stopping point for a lot of people with specialty coffee is they have these great coffees at a coffee shop and they buy that bag and they go home and they, it doesn't taste the same. They can't quite replicate this amazing flavor. And so this having kind of a guideline and having recipes certainly helps them, but knowing that they're going to have the equipment they have, you know, they're not going to have the same grinder, the same water, you know, you've got to learn all of those things as you go. This show is purely an excuse to justify all the things I have on my (laughs) coffee shelf. Sure. So I can explain it to my wife. The two of you have had a long bird's eye view of the industry at large. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on where coffee is headed, you know, in the, in the near and long future, long term, I suppose. Every generation probably feels like they're at a tipping point in the world. It feels like we've been told that every day for the last five years. Mm. How do you feel about coffee moving forward as you see it growing? I looking into a crystal ball is always tough for me. I, I, and, and kind of forecasting what's going to happen is, is almost impossible. There's just so much happening. It depends on what part of the world we're talking about. It depends on what part, what neighborhood of Portland you're talking about. (laughs) Um, All I can say really is like, I am looking at the way people consume content and news and information and where they get their advertising, where they get their, where they, they learn about new products to purchase. And it's all happening on Instagram. It's all happening on TikTok. And it, and it's, there has to be some kind of a, 
coffee is 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 on those platforms in multiple forms there's there's influencers there's companies there's content ai farms uh putting out information um oh yeah oh yeah i'm seeing a lot of noise a lot of uh I, i i'm i'm kind of terrified for the future because of these 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 devices all i can say is that in my neighborhood my cafes are opening later than they used to, uh, which is a great, uh, ever since, you know, COVID, uh, shops were closing early. Now they're closing later and later, more hours in the day for, for, for coffee enjoyment here locally. And the coffee scene here in my neighborhood is thriving. And I'm so excited for that in my little community. For the rest of the world, uh, there's, there's just so much. I don't know. Jordan, please help me <laughs> Yeah, <out. laughs> I'll speak to your dark portent for the future, Zachary, uh, and and add that, um, well, no, I mean, social media is a whole, you know, it's a whole other conversation, but uh, we do like having an actual website. I'll tell you that. It's nice to not um, have it all just be on social media. Big fan of actually having a website. My future predictions, I always get all this stuff wrong, um, and I have a long period history of getting all of them wrong. I've had some of these kind of like, uh, whatever you want to call them, fruit-washed, co-ferment <laughs> coffees recently, and uh, I don't think those are going away, because um, they're wild and wacky tasting, right? And um, if you don't really think about coffee that much, or you don't know what the flavors are, it's not something you think about every day, um, you try one of those coffees and you're like, whoa, that tastes different, and that's a powerful moment with like consumers and customers and stuff and uh, some of them that we've had are actually pretty cool i don't think it's going anywhere i think it's going to get more popular and my guess is that next year you'll see more like um mainstream food publications writing about them and stuff i think that trend is going to punch through into the mainstream a little bit more and then i've had these kind of fun experiences a couple of these experiences the last couple months of going to little tiny small indie indie cafes uh, around where we live out here between, you know, San Francisco and Seattle. Um, and there being these kind of tiny owner operated sort of using gear that you're, you think of more commonly in a home setting or like a pro home setting. They're obviously like reading all the message boards and all in all the, on all the YouTube and, and really caring about that stream of like, this hobbyist prosumer, but like people who are like how they are with home coffee gear, like how they some people get about home audio equipment or some people get about fixing a motorcycle or guitars or something. You know, there's these people who are just like true, true hobbyists, but who are opening cafes and are kind of like um, taking that POV that you might more commonly have found at home or I think like a decade ago that was more likely something we would know about happening in a home setting but they've got cafes that are open maybe it's in a beer hall or the top of a food hall or shared space somewhere or a cart or something and the coffee service feels really personal and idiosyncratic and like representative of that person's sort of hobbyist passion home passion for it and I hope we see more of those because I don't think every single coffee I've ever had in that environment has been like the greatest coffee of my life, but I really appreciate the moxie and ambition and whole thing of it. I like going to slightly imperfect idiosyncratic places uh, for coffee or for whatever it is, you know, like I think that's kind of fun and I hope that there's more of them. 
This podcast is supported by Ignite Coffee Company in Oceanside, California. You can also find them online at ignitecoffeecompany.com. Founder Tyler Whitehead is a third-generation Oceanside entrepreneur whose dream has always been to provide a welcoming space where his fellow community members can mingle, study, and even create the plan to pursue their own dreams, all over a cup of really, really, really good coffee. That's three reallys, so you know it's true. Visit Ignite Coffee Company on Mission Avenue in downtown Oceanside, or order coffee beans roasted fresh for you on ignitecoffeecompany.com. Well, let's narrow the view a little bit then. What comes next for the two of you and for Sprudge? More books, more everything, more, you know, what's what's the plan for the for your collaboration? This has been the busiest, one of, the, I think, the busiest fall professionally for us that we have maybe ever had. We, we um, you know, had the book come out and we did book events for it all around the country. And, uh, and then we had some new programming for us, the Sprudge Design Awards, which have just concluded uh and that was anytime you do a new thing it's always the biggest lift you know as we kind of build editorial systems and and sort of understand how it's going to work with the readership and and all that kind of stuff so that's been a lot of fun and a great success but a lot of work because it's a new a new time we did something so that's been a lot of fun so i will tell you for my immediate future um there's these three glorious words that come but once a year typically between December 23rd and January 1st or 2nd called Best of Sprudge. The best of Sprudge. <laughs> it's the only time of year our readership will allow us to run reruns or you can possibly get away with like a best of or reruns in like a news and culture reporting. And you'll notice every big and small website does a thing like this around that time of year. You look back at the year, you run some of your favorite stories or whatever. And uh, we get to take a little bit of time off with our family. So I'm very, very much looking forward to that uh, in the next few weeks. Indeed. And then I'll be I'll be practicing my dance routines for my new tick TikTok. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For the for the spread, you know, Buzzy the Bean, our mascot, uh, you know, needs a TikTok. Oh, big time. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it's cool. It, but it's going to be kind of like a club kid thing. It's going to be like a 90s dance dance nightclub, Manhattan nightclub. Yeah. Claire the carefree chicken, but Buzzy the Buzzy the bashful bean. You know who just got yeah. uh, a star on the Walk of Fame is Macaulay Culkin. He might be That's available to do something like that for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's Speaking he'd, of the holidays. He'd be perfect. <laughs> I, I know we're coming up uh, on time here in a little bit, and I want to make sure that I give you a chance. What did I miss or what should I have asked you You know that you want people to know about either yourselves or Sprudge or the, the new book? I guess the thing I'll say about the book is that I promise you, you know, someone who would like it for Christmas. Um, <laughs> and maybe that is somebody who really knows a lot about coffee and is into coffee and already has like 10 books um, because we tried to make sure that there was stuff like even if you've read our, our stuff on Spread every day for 14 years, there's stuff in the book that's different and surprising and it still feels like us and has like voice and is weird and, and all the rest of it that you'll find that in the book. Or if you know somebody like I've thought it was really cool. We've had lots of people bringing their like, um, like their young, like younger people, you know, t- teenagers or whatever, to events um, who 
like maybe don't have a bunch of coffee books or don't really know that much about it. And it's really fun to get to think about like being somebody's first coffee cookbook or first coffee book. This would be like a pretty fun one for that. I think you would feel like invited to the party with this book if it was your first book, which was really important to us. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that's the thing, like, that's a fun thing. I've wanted to try to talk about that as much as possible uh, over the last couple of months since the book came out because uh, it really is kind of baked into the cake and it's something we're, we're proud of and worked really hard on making sure it felt like it felt like that. Well, as we, we come to a close, I ask everyone uh, this question, and that is the next time you're on the road, let's say you're out somewhere promoting the book and you stop at a coffee local coffee roaster you've never been to, you don't know anything about, what do you order on the menu? I order a drip coffee and an espresso. I think it depends on what time of the year it is and how hot it is out. If I'm somewhere where it is hot, I always just want like an espresso and a iced tea. If it is, I'm a super hyper, like I'm a very like, what temperature is it? What week of the month is is it like for what I feel like drinking and what I feel like ordering? Um, but I'm also a sucker for like if you go somewhere and something is very clearly like the special or like the thing they're the most known for. Like I want an espresso always. I probably want some some tea if they care about what they're doing with tea. And then whatever the drink of the month is or the the thing they're famous for is kind of fun too. It is always nice to have like three beverages. Yes. Um, I love having three of anything, like at a brunch, at a breakfast, at a cafe. So yeah, for sure. I also say that like I think we've kind of learned a little bit too. Like if you're there, if, you're, if we're there for like an event or we're there for like um like a thing, and the people who are working there know that we're the guys from Sprunge, ordering three or four or five things is like kind of nice to do like it's like and also it keeps it away from the moment where we're like what espresso and then we stand there very judgily <laughs> oh yeah no i, I left that part Watched out where i ordered the espresso and then i then i squat and i look to see if the <laughs> shots are coming out would you weigh that too <laughs> oh then i yeah throw some uh tips out to the barista Critique, yeah. Sometimes you'll jump on bars or you'll kick them off the machine and say, let me show you how it's done. <laughs> it's like riding a bicycle. <laughs> well, there, there's a great question to close out. I, I was going to end there, but you just brought something up is why don't the two of you have your own cafe? I think we I think we think it's cooler to write about it. Why do we want to compete with the places we write about? Why do we want to... It's okay to have, you know, there used to be this thing, we used to have a society, there used to be this idea that journalists were not also the practitioners of that which they journaled about, which is a very old-fashioned thing these days, I assure you. But um, for us, it goes back to some of that idea of, like, we want to play newsroom, like, we want to play journalists. Like, that was always what was fun about this, the momentum of that, and We've done it long enough that I think it low-key is now actually what we are, what we do, you know? And yeah, but Zachary, you would love to have a little cafe gallery. I know it's your, like, dream. Anything's possible. There's always uh, opportunities uh, for more. And, And having a little cafe for me 
to have just a tiny little cafe. You'll do it someday. You'll do, it'll it'll happen someday. Um, it'll happen. But I don't. But you're not going to see the most magical thing. I don't think you're going to see us try to own or operate twelve Sprudge cafes in a city near you. You know what I mean? Like that's not. We we like the website. We want to write about all this stuff. It's our job. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. <laughs> when we have fifty cafes in twenty twenty five, and people go back to this this show, and they're like, "See, well, see, do you I see?" I guess you're right. Now that being said, we would be very open to hearing franchise inquiries, and so if you <laughs> want to get in touch with us, it's just you know the contact page on Sprudge. Say you know if there's franchise franchise opportunities, do let us know. Certainly, we we'll certainly yeah. consider anything, but um, you're not one eight 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 five five spread. You're not the first person to ask that question. What you guys have the coffee website? Why isn't there the cafe? And we've had sort of public facing offices and hosted little coffee service stuff. You know, something that was fun about this last round of months that we've done the book stuff has been we've really been like working on coffee drinks for people, making making coffees for people, or being behind the bar at a coffee festival with like a the team that was really making the coffee, but we were still there, like talking to people and stuff. And that is a little bit of a different footing for us, a little different from what we normally do. And yeah, I don't know, Zachary, why don't we have it? It's our purest journalistic ethics or why we don't have a cafe. Why why don't we have one? I, I think I think running a uh, running spreadsh the website is 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 more than enough True. for for us. Oh yes, but I would love to have a spreadsh pop up, much like in the same vein as like a Penny University mm. or uh, a Coffee Common. Right. I would love to have like a spreadsh thing. Yeah. Again, yeah, we would have to navigate the weird, like, journalistic integrity of running a shop that we also write about. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's a lot. Yeah, I think it'd probably be, we'd probably be fine. Maybe we should do this. Maybe <laughs> we'll keep talking about this when the show gets done. We'll argue about it some more. Maybe, maybe you'll see us do it at some point. <laughs> to be fair, a couple of minutes ago, I thought Jordan was going to stop at, we used to have a society, end of sentence. <laughs> So I think we've gone on uh, just enough for everyone. Uh, I really appreciate the two of you spending an hour with with me and with our audience. And and, uh, congrats on completing the book and getting it out there and telling everyone about it. And uh, enjoy your your holiday time. Thank you. You as well. Thank you so much for having us. This This was a pleasure. A lot of fun. Okay. Some key takeaways from today's podcast. Jordan and Zachary have a lifelong friendship, which I think is pretty cool. More so even because they've managed to be business partners too. Speaking from experience, partnerships can be a challenge, even without the foundation of friendship. In their case, the partnership seems to work because of their relationship. With it comes the ability and willingness to support each other and provide support or uplift the other when they're not quite there that day which I think is a different thing. But First Coffee is the second book they've released. The first, The New Rules of Coffee, was an argument for, or at least an explanation of, specialty coffee. In the five years since the release of that book, Zachary and Jordan think the greater public has caught on. The availability of and the appreciation for specialty coffee has never been greater. Their motivation for writing But First Coffee was to go beyond the explanation and teach us all the fun things that we can make with a bag of coffee. The recipe book covers the primary forms of brewing, and also delves into the more creative ways we use coffee to make drinks, cocktails, desserts, even barbecue rubs. 
there is a lot to digest. Food pun intended. At one point, after a question about the future of coffee, Zachary cautioned that despite the great strides specialty coffee has made in the zeitgeist, there is still a lot of confusion, a lot of white noise about the industry. Personally, I'd say particularly in regard to the economics of a cup of coffee, and perhaps some misinformation about what makes for a good cup of coffee. We still have room to grow in this space, which is good. It's why resources like Sprudge.com, the books written by Zachary and Jordan, and hopefully this podcast, are valuable to those of you out there listening and reading. I kind of did the guys dirty by asking for future predictions. It's a no-win question. If they are right, well, they're the guys from Sprudge. They're supposed to get it right. But if they're wrong, someone out there listening may say, well, remember when you said this on that podcast that one time? As I'm reflecting on nine seasons of this show, it's nice to know that there is still room for improvement in my interviewing skills. It's a credit to Jordan and Zachary that they turned it around to talk about both the positive and negative changes they're seeing in the industry. Some of those changes may even impact the greater society we're all hanging out in and drinking coffee together. Or at least, together on our phones. Finally, Die Hard is absolutely a holiday movie and one of the best action films of all time. Yes, I know the tank top changes color. Do I care? Absolutely not. I think we've proved that beyond a reasonable doubt merely by stating it out loud. You're welcome to argue with us on social media. Links in bio. There are actually a lot of links coming from this episode, including that one to an article about Elf on Sprudge.com, to the book But First Coffee, and some fun coffee in the news articles that have come out in the past week, including one about the explosion of specialty coffee shops and roasters in the SoCal marketplace, which was written on the North County Pipeline substack. It's an article I'm partial to, primarily because they asked the opinion of this podcast host. You'll find all of those important links in this show's podcast notes and the rest on coffeepeoplepodcast.com. Thanks to both Jordan and Zachary for spending time with us for this episode of Coffee People. I know they're at the end of their book tour and looking forward to a well-deserved break. Be sure to bookmark sprudge.com for regular consumption, food pun intended, and if you have someone who likes coffee or books or cooking, or all three, but first coffee might be the right holiday gift for them. If you're out there listening and digging on this coffee content, please consider supporting this show by subscribing at coffeepeoplepodcast.com. And if you're in the coffee industry or looking to grow in the industry, check out our Coffee Smarter Pro podcast thread, where we'll be collecting the wisdom of past and future guests, as well as providing targeted advice from the founders of Hasea Coffee Source and Crossings Coffee. Thanks to all of our great industry partners. It's been an awesome season. I couldn't do it without them. They include Roastar Coffee Packaging, an excellent coffee packaging company that tells the big stories of small business coffee roasters. They are this show's presenting sponsor. Learn more at roastar.com. And Moster Coffee Company, Ascend Coffee Roasters, Ignite Coffee Company, Marea Coffee, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, San Franciscan Roaster Company, Crossings Coffee, Civets Roasting Machines, First Light Coffee Whiskey, Hasea Coffee Source, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Camp Coffee Company, Steady State Coffee Roasters, and Ascento Coffee. A special thanks to all of you, our listeners, readers, and supporters. You are just effing amazing. I couldn't, I wouldn't keep making this show without the lift I get from connecting with you all over a cup of coffee. 
Happy holidays to everyone. I'll be traveling east from Southern California, heading through Nevada and Utah into the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. If you have a favorite spot I should check out, please hit me up on at Roast West Coast on Instagram. This show is part of the Roast West Coast Coffee Network, and this episode is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. Happy holidays, stay warm and cozy, please be kind to each other, always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee. Hello? Uh, you still there? You know the show is over, right? I mean, I know it's over too, but I'm still here, obviously. And I'm still kind of in shock that we've reached the end of season 9, and nearly the end of 2023. What a year. This was the first for Roast West Coast to attend the Specialty Coffee Association convention, the first to bring on a big presenting sponsor, extra shout out to Roastar, the first time we launched our packaging design features and became members of the Podcast Academy, it was a big year for us. I mean, me. No us. We're all in this together. Thanks for being here. A lot more coming in 2024. If you have thoughts about the show, coffee recommendations, questions you want answered, or moments of coffee joy you want to share, shoot me a message on social media or via email to coffeepeoplepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for being here, everyone.